Hey everyone, it's Mike. I just want to take 30 seconds to thank you all for downloading the newest episode of Sacred Cows. Uh, this is now Sacred Cows Tonight, a new little format just to try to reflect uh, what we're trying to do with the show. Um, it's going to be less frequent, so we're just going to get right down to it. Thanks to Alex Cater for our new logo. It's very wonderful. You can find him online at Happy Puke. And uh, we're just going to get right into the show. Thanks again. Okay, what episode is this? This isn't an episode. What? Yeah, Rogue One isn't even one of the Star Wars episodes. Right, it's a standalone, non-serialized. Uh, no, not Rogue One. What episode of Sacred Cows is this? Quiet. Do you want us to get sued? What are you talking about? Don't you remember? George owns Sacred Cows now. We're not allowed to use that title. So what the hell is this show, then? Can we get to that later? Right now, we need to talk about Rogue One. Fine. <clears throat> a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. No, 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 stop. This movie does not start with the Star Wars theme. Remember? It's different. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships. There's no opening crawl either. We just get right into the action. Jeez, disembodied voice guy. Didn't you see this movie? Well, no. No, I didn't. But, I mean, you can fake your way through the first couple of minutes of any Star Wars movie. They're all the same. Well, that's the old way of thinking, disembodied voice guy. Welcome to Star Wars The Next Generation. Ah, the show with Picard. What? What? Well, I can't keep all this sci-fi crap straight. I'm not as big of a nerd as you guys. Look, look, look. Let's just start over, okay? This is Star Wars. Uh-huh. Rogue One. Uh-huh. Star Wars Rogue One episode. Not an episode. Although if you had to assign it an episode number, it'd be like mm, three and a half. Well, more like 3.99999. Enough! And what episode is this show anyway? This podcast, Sacred Cows episode. Not a Sacred Cows episode. Then what the hell is this? What is this show? Well, we were thinking of calling it, live from Wisconsin, it's Sacred Cows Tonight! It's Sacred Cows Tonight! With your hosts, Mike Urban, Pete, featuring disembodied voice guy, and guests, Veronica, Sam Brady, and John Caulfield, featuring the Sacred Cows Tonight Band. And now welcome your hosts, Mike and Pete. Thanks, disembodied voice guy. Welcome to Sacred Cows Tonight. I'm Mike. Yes, welcome to the new format of Sacred Cows Tonight. I'm Pete. And we have with us three guests we have. From Brute Force Podcast, John Caulfield. Welcome, John. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. We also have, from Cthulhu and Friends Podcast, Podcat Podcast, and Highly Illogical Podcast, Veronica. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's not, it's not often I get asked to come back. <laughs> And yet we've done it twice now. Yeah. 
You're kind of a kind of a a staple. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last but not least, from the highly illogical podcast, uh, various other Geekly Inc. podcasts, including the Sailor Moon podcast, Moon Cops, and also Ooh. from the Podcat podcast, Sam Brady. Sam Strong. <laughs> Welcome, Sam. Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> Great. So, guys, uh, before we get into our main topic, which is Star Wars Rogue One, uh, let's talk a little bit about your shows. So, John, let's start with Brute Force. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So, Brute Force is a role play podcast uh, created by Adam Bash. Um, it's a modified version of the World of Darkness system, um, and the characters play sort of traditional sort of monster-type characters. So we've got myself, I play uh, a skeleton called Mort, um, and we have a harpy, um, a golem, and the yeti also in it. Um, it's been good fun. It's uh, like the first podcast I've really done. And yeah, it's good. It starts off with sort of a Jasper Spitwhistle, who's like a bard in uh, an inn he's basically telling the story of the brute force so yeah it's uh, good fun i enjoy it a lot very good very good cool cool and what's your favorite thing about uh, mort what's your favorite thing about that character um i've never been asked that before actually um possibly his dog rufus actually <laughs> I, uh, I have an affinity for rufus he's a, a very clever little dog Let's go to Veronica. Veronica, can you tell us a little bit about uh, any one of your shows? Pick one. Sure. I'll pick Cthulhu and Friends. So Cthulhu and Friends is a real play podcast that is highly produced to sound more like um, a radio drama. So we take out a lot of the die rolls and things that you might hear in a typical real play podcast and we tend to put in a lot of music and sound effects to get you in the mood and make you feel like you're there um i guess the one thing that separates our podcast from a lot of others is that characters can die at any time so nothing is sacred and nothing is safe that sounds a little scary i like it sounds awesome Get back in your corner, disembodied voice guy. Sorry. Uh, I won't come out again. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that subplot. <laughs> you know, oh. I heard that the disembodied voice guy actually died in the 90s, and they've been digitally reproducing him ever since. And some people think that they should just move on to something else, let that actor be. But anyways, just a rumor I heard. <laughs> Dude, died in, like, the 90s B.C., <laughs> I'm real. I'm real. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, well, real in our hearts. Yeah. Uh, Sam, tell us a little bit about uh, one of your podcast projects that you want to talk about. Sure. Hi. Yeah, I'm Sam. I do things on the internet. And my favorite thing about John on Brute Force is his character will go so far on zany situations. Like when he's uh, hanging nine underneath the boat. I don't want to spoil anything for, for people, but how far that you will just go and go and go, <laughs> that ridiculous thing, it's just, like, the commitment is just beautiful, John. I've got to give up Thank to you. you. And, um, oh, gosh, the card game. The card game is one of the things that just, I think about that, and it makes me laugh. It is so ridiculous. 
I think what you might be plugging your own podcast. <laughs> oh, we're, well, it's kind of hard to with everyone else around here. That's just so talented. Um, sure. <laughs> Highly Logicals is one I started recently. It's an actual play Star Trek one. And we do, <laughs> we're telling a story. It's very produced. It's got a huge, huge ensemble cast. And Starfleet's always recruiting. So if you're interested in participating, uh, uh, give it a look. And it's sort of storytelling in a Star Trek-inspired universe by a lot of people who are some of them new to Trek and everyone um, uh, now finding some sort of appreciation for it. And it has been crazy fun. Yeah, I, I find like it, it. I find it really cool yeah. because I love all of the different uh, little mini stories that you you get sent from people that you put on the feed. Uh, the uh, the captain's logs, well, not all captains, but, you know, the the ship officer logs. Those are very interesting. And then you incorporate them into the main story. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's certainly just an intent to world build with people. In this, and Star Trek is such a great canvas to do that in. Um, there's an episode I did recently where I literally guide someone through Vulcan meditation in a mind meld. There's not a single bit of combat that happens. There's not a, a dice that is rolled until the very end. Um, and I do a minute of silence in the middle, <laughs> inviting the listener to join me in meditation. And it was such a different thing. I was very nervous about doing it, but I just like trying new things. And Star Trek is such a great place to facilitate just storytelling and, and going wherever that story goes. And having a constant pool of flesh, fresh meat with uh, with all these fun players has, has been something that's just really kept that fresh as, as well. Well, you can try anything. Yeah, on, for sure. You can try. Folks, I want to say that my wife really, really likes all of your podcasts. Um, I haven't been so good about listening to podcasts lately, but I am reading an excellent book about the life of Marco Polo. Uh, but I wanted to <laughs> Boo! give you that message from my wife. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I encourage reading, so yay for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good work. That's a good thing about podcasts is that they're there when you want them. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going right. anywhere. They just yeah, exist. That's right. They'll always be there yeah. when, I, when I read all the books now. No, just wanted to pass that on from my wife. Big fan. Well, thank you. Tell you tell thank your you. wife we all gave her a little butt pat and a big hug. Mm-hmm. I will tell her part of that. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> will you just give her the one thing yourself? Is that what they're going for here? This is for me. Oh no, me. I'm saying she got a she got a virtual butt pat for oh. sure. <laughs> <laughs> With no context, she'll she'll be thrilled. Uh, looking for the uh, anime slap face counter coming soon. Uh, all right all right well uh yeah well thanks again yeah all for coming sorry Um, thanks thanks everybody for being here mike mike it's been a really long time since we did this you all ready to go yeah i think we're ready to go i think at some point we can can tell people all of the shenanigans that went on oh between june and now (laughs) there's a lot but uh, yeah, let's talk. I, about... I don't know if I'd call it a shenanigan per se. More of a, a lot of burp rags and dirty diapers and that kind of thing. But well, there's there's the whole George thing and lawsuits and yeah, whatever. <laughs> Certainly, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about a movie that George Lucas has admitted to liking on the internet: uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Did he like it? I hadn't actually heard that. Yeah. He did. He did not have the same <laughs> rhetoric that he did for The Force Awakens. He came right out and said he liked it. So I thought that was heartwarming. 
I'm glad to hear he thought it was more enjoyable than what he calls white slavery. So that's yeah. exactly. <laughs> yes. He spoke in somewhat more glowing terms this time around. <laughs> All right. Well, as is tradition on a Sacred Cows podcast, uh, even in this new Tonight format, I think we should still do the 10,000-foot uh, view of the movie. So which one of you thinks that they can sum it up in like a minute or less, the whole plot? And we I love mean, it when guests handle this part of the show. I think I can. Yeah, I think Ooh, you can, all too. right. Okay. One minute or less, and I'll start now. So there's a guy that's been working on the Death Star, and he decides, okay, I don't, I don't want to be working on this anymore. And so he stops working on it. And then bad guy comes to his house and says, you have to do this. And he's like, no, I don't. Shoots his wife in front of his daughter. Daughter runs away and gets taken away by a cyborg, half man, half robot type guy. Worst comes to worst, and the dad gets taken. He has to make the Death Star. Girl grows up, has a lot of angst, and doesn't know if she trusts the rebels, but she has major contempt for the Empire, and she gets a message that she has to, um, well, fuck. Forgot what happens. <laughs> She's got to like you know. She, you see, it's all about the ah oh, fuck. What the yeah, hell is fuck. it? <laughs> okay, I got to get to be one with the force. Let me close my eyes and do this. So the girl gets picked up. That's right. She gets picked up. She gets picked up by these bad guys, and then she gets busted out. And then she meets these other two guys. I'm terrible at this. Cut all of it. Let someone else do it. <laughs> I completely lost it. All and right. All of my confidence with it. Well, the idea is we're going to do a lot less. Well, you did a good job with, I with it, but uh, <laughs> we, we can cut that. Um, okay, John. Why don't I just pass the baton to the next person, and the next person can try? Pass the baton to the rebellion built on hope. Okay, we will get there eventually. <laughs> so there's. There's an Empire pilot who's defected, um, and he's got a, an important message. Uh, so the Rebellion send Jin and some other people to get the message. Uh, they eventually get hold of it, and it's a message from her dad saying that there's um, a flaw in the Death Star, so it can be destroyed. Uh, then they all leave the planet and go and try and find the dad to find out what the flaw exactly is. Um, the dad gets killed, unfortunately, uh, but they find out that the plans are on another planet somewhere, and they go back to the rebellion place, which is Yavin 4, I think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, the rebellion doesn't want to do it, but she thinks, fuck it, and she does it anyway, and gathers uh, a group of rebels, and they all go to the planet to uh, get the plans Uh, then the rebellion decides to back them up anyway there's a big space battle uh, and everyone dies and they get the plans (laughs) hooray (laughs) awesome awesome wow that was a good tag team effort yeah excellent teamwork takes a village me and V are used to tag teaming things we are (laughs) Sam (laughs) (laughs) wow Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's start with what are what is the coolest thing about this movie that you saw? 
that you think? Um, I have a whole, I have a, I have two lists on my notes that I made in preparation of this podcast. Problems with the movie and things I loved about the movie. All right, let's um, go with it. There were a lot of coolest things. I think one of the single coolest things is all of the movies exist under the shadow of the specter of the threat of Darth Vader. And you never exactly feel that threat realized. Uh, and to me, one of the coolest moments of this movie is to have that threat be completely realized at the end. And you oh, yeah. see what what is the horror that drives a lot of the story is. Skipping ahead to the end of the movie. I like what you're doing here. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I end. absolutely agree. I mean, in New Hope, he's like he's a bad guy, but he's not very threatening. He like chokes a dude and kills Obi Wan, and that's about it. But yeah, he's kind in of this. Like, you actually yeah. see how much of a badass he actually is. Yeah, mm-hmm. in A New how Hope, scary. he's kind of just like the baddest ass guy at your office, but he's really not all that you know yeah. action packed. But we get to see him really, you know, this is what people have nightmare fuel about for you know. Yeah, driving he's actually an entire rebellion in this yes, movie. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I think it, it it makes A New Hope a better movie because it shows uh, Vader on the leash that they actually mentioned that Tarkin has. You know, you see him like unleashed mm. in in the in this movie, and then if you were to watch A New Hope afterwards, he's on the leash of Tarkin again and really kind absolutely. of being restrained. Yeah, nope. I, the, I think this movie, would, at its best, it gave stakes and light and darkness to the Star Wars. Uh, just a lot of uh, color, consequence, and um, context. Yeah, I think you really hit a, a good point on that. Because to me, having seen the movies in order, and then um, not having them had been part of my childhood, but just having seen them you know, for what they were, and you know, episode one through seven, right? So... Having seen this new episode, it truly made me understand what everyone was fighting against. Because if you were just to watch one through seven, you know, it's it's more like a, oh, you know, this is just about diplomatic freedom. It's not so much that anyone is dying for this. You know, you hear it, but, you know, other than the one Jedi wipeout... You don't really have life and death stakes, and this really well, put life and death I mean, stakes they did blow on up everything. A you know, like what you're saying, this movie really serves to make Episode Four and really the entire original trilogy better, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. you know that's a little you know opera esque, you know, like or you know like the violence is the extent of which is you get to see a planet explode from space in kind of a cheesy looking effect, but here. You know, you're on the ground, like, a mile away from the Death Star blast, and you get to see the damage really unfolding. It's it's a, it, it's more of a human-driven story, really, I think, than uh, the other one, which is more just, like, the grand scheme of things. Uh, this is this really makes it all personal, I think. Yeah, it really puts the, the war in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, absolutely. Wh- Oh, sorry. If I can um, talk about my point, Sam, gosh, with your excellent opening. Um, one of the things that I thought was, I think, the best about this movie is we see in episode three, all the Jedi are wiped out. Mm-hmm. And so you have no experienced users of the Force, so to speak, that are out there mm. teaching other people how to use it. 
And so we come across this um, blind monk guy, and his mantra throughout the the movie is, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. And it just seems kind of like a little cuckoo wacky guy for a little bit. But then you, if you really think about it, it's like, well, you know, all of those Jedi are now one with the force. And are they protecting him and using him to, you know, meet this end? You know, I don't know. Maybe right. You know, they, the they come worked. right out and say that he's not a Jedi and he's right. probably not using the force, but certainly we see demonstrated on screen. And by the way, that's Donnie Yen, the very talented Donnie Yen. Uh, yes. We see demonstrated that he is under the protection of, of you know, luck or the force or whatever it may be. I mean, I would think he's, he's like force sensitive, but doesn't necessarily use the force. Mm-hmm. He's like mm-hmm. tapped into it somehow, but not... In sure, but not like fully. Using powers. He's not a general. general Star Wars theory about that, but that doesn't pertain to this movie exactly, so I don't want to soundtrack <laughs> too much. Uh, tacking on with, with you mentioning him, this is the first movie that really made it feel like a religion under persecution in a, in a very believable way. Like the, the Force people. Oh, sure. And his arc really um, added uh, believability and power to that. We're always told it's religion under persecution. We really feel that in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they didn't mention Metachlorians even once. Amen. <laughs> Thank God. The um, the bit near the end where he's walking towards the uh, switch and he's doing oh. his mantra and they just yeah. can't hit him. People have um, suggested that might be a reason why stormtroopers can never seem to hit anyone because ah. they're all protected by the force. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Well, you're you're really onto something. We're always following the force users and the galaxy the universe corrects itself with this force it sets itself to it so it's going to feel like that until it doesn't right uh if you're if you're moving with the force if you're part of that force that's that's correcting the whole moral arc of the universe sure nothing's going to touch you mm-hmm. for a while until it does it'll protect you as long as you need to but i don't think that it is um it's not going to be biased towards your life ending either yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, a big theme of the Star Wars movies has always been balance, and uh, I think um, that's kind of shown sort of in that, too. You know, uh, they get enough to get done to take away, like, the, the odds, to get rid of the odds being hugely in evil's favor. And, and then, mm-hmm. you know, then he loses his luck. Boy, that was a conversation yeah. ender. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get an episode three or an episode five, and it's like evil's back on top. Yeah, so. sure. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about balance. You would think that this is a universe because there is a force that corrects itself over time. You would think people would be the most optimistic. But this Star Wars universe, especially compared to Star Trek, where I spend 90% of my waking energy, thoughts, and emotions, hmm. and absolutely love with all my heart. Thanks, Sam. Star Trek is not... <laughs> hey, baby. <I'm> <laughs> Star Trek is not a universe that necessarily uh, appreciates or understands the true cost of losing, how that can happen, how maybe the, your beliefs that you have, maybe all you get to do is have that in your heart while you don't get to express that externally because you live under tyranny, right? Certainly a little bit in say, but in Star Wars, you absolutely, and especially in this movie, you have that appreciation for the true cost of losing. It felt like a movie with very modern stakes in that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt very contemporary to... Uh to the times and, and concerns that people have about uh, the, the state of the world and, and how easy it is to to lose hope and to it's hard to get it back. It's very hard for Jin to rally the rebellion, ironically, uh, to actually fight for something. Yeah, I thought that was actually one of the 
more sad moments. We actually saw this movie with our nine-year-old son. And when that part happened, he was just like, so they're not going to fight with her? And I was like, yeah, I guess not. She's going to have to find another way. And it was really sad because, you know, the way that you think about the rebels in, you know, four through six is that, you know, they're out there, they're doing the dirty work and they don't care if they don't have a chance, you know, and now they're really considering all of the odds. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's why they're not as calculated, I guess, later or don't, I guess, come across that way on screen. Yeah, a lot of them did care that they didn't have a chance, and they didn't yeah. want any part of it. <laughs> so yeah, so what was say, the, the well, line that Jin says? Something like, um, the, the question isn't um, how we can do this, but how can we not, or something. Yeah. Uh, that's a good line. Yeah, she says stuff like, you know, this is ridiculously dangerous, we could die at any second, but once we get past that moment... We're going to do it again, and when we get past that moment, we're going to do it again, we're going to do it again until we win, or until we all die. You know, just the feeling that you feel like the rebellion embodies. Yeah. We watched The Born Identity last night for the Veronica's first time, and it's a movie that came out just a, just a hair before 9-11, and really embodies well, a lot of the... It came out after 9-11, oh, but it was recorded before Produced 9/11. before, just a hair before 9-11. They reshot some things even a- after 9-11, but um, it embodies sort of the pre-9-11 mentality of things, and the stakes are so funny to compare them to stakes that I feel like we appreciate in the bottom, or like this movie kind of speaks to. This movie speaks to real fucking stakes, and that one, if anything goes wrong you die but every country is just it absolutely continues and you have no there's no like existential crisis beyond your death you just die and that's the entirety of the way things can go wrong that's it and it felt Mm -hmm. so quaint in in a kind of sad way it's like Mm -hmm. oh what a more innocent time yeah for sure yeah what's great about this is it really it really shows obviously the the power of you know hope i mean that's a big theme in the in the movie rebellions are built on hope but it also shows like how close things can be and this is true in the real world as well to just falling apart i mean at the at the very last battle when all these things are happening and the death star plans are being you know stolen you know you have all these things that are barely just succeeding in order to make the plans continue on their path to the rebels and then of course um you know, once they're up in space, Darth Vader is the thing that is like they're mm. just keeping in front of, you know, to get these plans to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. The, Star Wars does a great job of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory or vice versa in, in a way that feels very powerful. I didn't even think about that until you said that. Um, I love the aesthetic fidelity to the, especially the Star Wars 4. Like that—that that makes me and, and to the whole original trilogy. I, I just yeah. even for the, the to the previews, I saw a stormtrooper of a brown kind of thing over his his, his side, like you only see in uh, A New Hope and everything like that. I, I thought it had uh, beautiful um, aesthetic fidelity that just made me feel really nostalgic and and, and it was really fun. Yeah, it was great seeing like original stormtroopers again. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I hear you. And all of JJ the mustaches Wings. that everyone was rocking in the seventies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was great. Never back. Yeah. It, it, it felt like. Contemporary, you know, except for the film quality, it felt contemporary with the original movie, the 1977 Star Wars, with a few tweaks, of course. At the risk of talking way too much, does, did, has anyone played Rogue Squadron, the video games? Any any incarnation of the series? 
I yeah. get them mixed up. I hate to say it. Yeah, I haven't uh, played that it's one. A, it, oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, yeah, there's an N64 one. There's a GameCube one. Yeah, I have that Wii one. Ones. It's a Nintendo line. Uh, it had such fidelity to the feel and function of the ships in the Rogue Squadron series in a way I've never seen in a Star Wars movie, which is so interesting. The Y-Wings are slower. They drop ion bombs. They stun ships. Uh, the X-Wings are faster, they shoot uh, proton torpedoes and the lasers. Just everything felt so fidelitous to like the extended canon and the games in mm-hmm. a way that I, I felt was a conscious choice because of how much screen time it got um, and was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I played tons of those games and it felt familiar the way the ships worked in combat. Yeah, it's funny. When we were actually walking out of the theater, that was the thing that he was talking about. I was like, uh, can't, I cannot relate with you on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I haven't played that game, but I have played Re- Super Return of the Jedi, so that's kind of the same thing, right? I thought it was the most inventive, some of the most inventive ship combat ever. I mean, this is the first time where you see, like, um, ship combat isn't like, uh, you know, dancing in space. It's more uh, dirty mm. and, and, you know, like ramming into other ships and then, you know, pushing them into into the the shield and things like that. That's something that really didn't happen in other Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah. that that space battle was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. I yes. thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. That's easily the best like space combat from any of the movies. Um, it was very including edge of your Anakin seat. spinning mm-hmm. through space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was good that kind of ignored the whole like there is a single plane um uh-huh. In outer mm-hmm. space, when they do space battles, you know that kind of thing. Like yeah. things were tilting the wrong way, and it was it was all looking, yeah, like you said, very inventive. Um, but I did also like that they managed to use some recycled footage from the uh, the the Death Star run in the nineteen seventy seven mm-hmm. film uh, for the the, pi- the fighter pilots that were uh, in there. I thought that was a nice little touch. The recycled uh, footage. I assumed that. They just uh, CG'd that. I didn't realize it was recycled footage. I what I I felt like maybe they had put a new background in outside they the did, window. Yeah. Yep, for them. And they yeah. changed I mean, logos they, they, on the those, helmets too to match that that period. Like mm. I I felt like those those scenes were not like the same mechanism as the full CG human characters yeah. that we yeah. saw in this film. They 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 just were a little more. <laughs> Organic looking, I guess, real looking. My favorite thing about this movie was how hard it hit me in the Star Wars feels. And uh, if you know what I mean, it got me feeling nostalgic for Star Wars in a way that, honestly, uh, The Force Awakens kind of didn't. The same way, mm. I mean, I was I was very excited for The Force Awakens because it was the first Star Wars movie after a long dry spell, a 10-year uh, yeah you know, gap between movies, but that was just like new characters in a new story and, you know, a couple of old faces. Whereas while this movie was all new characters uh, and a couple of familiar faces in the background, it was a story that we're all very familiar with and we've been seeing for 40 years now, you know, so it just felt really much like they were very much a part of the action that we were already, you know, totally in love with personally. Yeah, That's right. I, I, I had, 100% agree. I had a, a lot more feels the second time I saw it. So I saw it the day it was released. And then okay. the next time I saw it was the day after Carrie Fisher died. 
So that oh, end oh, scene wow. where Carrie Fisher yeah. appears, I actually had like a tear running down my face. Yeah, was... we I saw it the first time the day that it was announced that she had died, and so that little that you know couple of seconds that we see her at the end, it was you know everybody in the in the whole theater their heart missed a beat basically. Yeah, I bet, and she, she talks about hope in that moment too. Oh man, I can't. Yeah, it was pretty special, I have to say. Mm. So speaking of Carrie Fisher, I guess um, we we actually asked for some questions on the internet <clears throat> about uh, different things, and I think we can just pepper them uh, in our discussion as we continue. Um, one of the questions we got was from uh, at Spambot Jonah. Um, he says, "Sacred Cows Pod, uh, there are currently talks between Disney and Carrie Fisher's estate regarding the use of her likeness in future movies. What are your thoughts?" And as an update to that one, I know for uh, Disney is stating that they have no plans to use her um, likeness in future movies. But I'm just wondering what you guys think if uh, if, if it was done. Or, well, well that, was, I mean, that was going to I, be my thought. <laughs> I'd heard that the third of the new movies, episode nine, featured her heavily. So I don't quite know what they're going to do about that. So apparently yeah. she's in episode eight uh, quite a lot. They they I wrapped see... eight before she died, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And apparently she's having an even bigger role in the the final movie, so mm. I'm not sure what they're gonna do. I mean, they can't recast her. No one would stand for that. I think yeah. it's more time for a so. rewrite. So yeah, it's either got to be a rewrite or CG. But then if she was having such a big role in it, like she did in episode eight, then I don't see how they can rewrite it and. <laughs> write her out and i really don't feel like they can do a full cg character at least not at this point um yeah not for like a whole movie no like if she was only in like Polar two scenes or something <laughs> <laughs> that's true when, when it came out i was very impressed yeah <laughs> um so for me i think that you know I've seen Carrie Fisher's um, Wishful Drinking. I saw it several years ago, and I've kind of wanted to rewatch it because I remember her talking about George Lucas using her likeness without her permission. And, you know, she was like, I, you know, I didn't say that you could, you know, use pictures of me like this or whatever. And um, so I know that there was a part of her that was very sensitive to being a paid actress and having her own identity. But I would really think that that would be up to her daughter and um, they Mm. seemingly had a a good relationship. And I think that they would know her family, I think would know how she felt about this new franchise and what was happening with it. You know what I mean? Like this new part of the franchise. So if her family was cool with it, I think I would be fine with it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is they have to get it perfect because mm-hmm. if they, I don't know, CG her or write her out or whatever they do, if they don't get it right, then that could prove disastrous for the movie. Right. And I, What if George again, Lucas you... has to come back for this, you know? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Disney's doing just fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, you, you can't say that name a third time or he'll appear. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably appear in one of our sketches one of these days anyways. But um, uh, yeah, like John said, they would have to get that technology a little more there, I think, with the full CG if they wanted to do that. Because I think that is the only way they could they could do 
uh, Princess Leia in a movie from now on. You know, they mm-hmm. can't do they can't do a recast. Uh, it's probably just going to have to be a rewrite. But those CG characters in this movie in in Rogue One, I was happy that they did that. And like for twenty years, we've been promised like a new movie starring Humphrey Bogart using this technology. But now <laughs> seeing that twenty years later, you know now. It's just not there yet. I don't think it's there yeah. yet. I think the the Leia was really good in it, but I think the Tarkin, the yeah. Grand Muff, I think he was a little too uncanny valley. Yeah, it was big time uncanny valley. It's I I just don't know that it would necessarily ever really be there. I wonder if part, yeah. I part, didn't mind it at all. They could I do it for a couple it of scenes. But. Oh well, I, it took me a couple of seconds to realize something was up, and then it took me a couple more seconds to say, "I really don't like this." <laughs> I mean, it was much better than the Grand Moff they did at the end of Episode Three. That one was terrible. Oh. That is true. Yeah, he looked awful. Yeah, I there just were kind a, of ignored it. Things that... Oh yeah, you there had a lot to. Of things that brought me out of this movie. That wasn't one of them, strangely. But I yeah. did feel like this is a movie that. Kind of surprisingly, there were a lot of moments that really pulled you out of it <laughs> in a way that was that it, it was strange. Like I, I looked at Veronica a lot, kind of confused at a couple moments of this movie. Like what? Tell um, us the Darth Vader's costume. The first time we see him looked strange, uh, and then Darth Vader in general in that first scene didn't feel earned. Yeah, I uh, think and was constrained. Darth- I'm not sure what it is, but Darth Vader's voice wasn't quite right. I agree. Yeah. It was Especially very close. It's, when he got very I thought it seemed maybe a little higher pitched or something. Yeah, I'm not his sure voice it seemed higher. Same with Tarkin. Right. Same with Tarkin. Only with Darth Vader, it was the same voice actor, so what's the excuse, yeah. right? Well, I mean, he uh, is like... just forgot how he sounded, I guess. Yes, that's what I was going to... I felt like Darth Vader's line of like not choking on I, I can't remember what his Try line Try not to choke on your ambition. Yeah. Trying not to choke on your That's ambition. <laughs> too much cheese, you guys. A little bit too cheesy. Much. Yes. Too much space cheese. I was Absolutely. Uh, I mean, because, you know, you're really looking for this, you know, badass that you've been told about your whole life. And then he says this? No. Now he's now he's my, my old uncle. Well, well, don't worry, no, Veronica. You get your badass Vader at the end. That's just Anakin. <laughs> that's Anakin. And it is all the more surprising after that. <laughs> you know, I kind of think about the choking all the time with him. Uh, and it's I'm not a religious person, but folks tend to imagine uh, just Jesus as a, as a person having a couple of superpowers. He can make unlimited fish, unlimited that. He can turn water into wine. He, he can walk on water. There are some things that he can do, almost like uh, Superman's list of things. Laser carpentry. Hands, I, <laughs> carpentry. Sorry. Right. Preaching. I think the in, yeah. intent of the of of the thing is to say that he's magic and can do a lot of things, and these are just examples of that magicness. Yeah. I kind of think, think the same thing with Darth Vader. We see a couple of miracles, and then we just see them be the superpowers. When I first watched Star Wars, I thought, oh, he can do all sorts of terrible things, but now he's just got a set of like a character sheet with seven skills on it that he recycles <laughs> between, <laughs> rather than being able to do anything. Yeah, he's playing DC I mean, so when think... he should be playing Bessem, just let's be honest. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I think... Uh... Making unlimited fish is now my favorite superpower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to do that every Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Bit of a Wisconsin thing there. Anyway. Uh, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing that was pulling me out of the movie, um, it's a very small thing, was the music. Most of the music was really good, 
But the the bit where Rogue One appears on the screen and they play the little fanfare mm. thing, it sounded more like the sort of music they use in a Star Wars parody, where they yeah. can't uh, they don't have permission to use the real music, so they make something that's vaguely similar. I hear it that. It sort of starts out like the first couple of beats of that piece of music. It's like it's Star Wars. It's the Star Wars theme, and then it just changes, and it, it felt a bit weird and kind of pulled me out of it a bit. Well, I think that maybe that was intentional because you know all of the other movies are Star Wars and then title, you know, and this yeah. one is Rogue One not Star Wars Rogue One. And so it is different. It, it, it's a splinter. Yeah, I mean, it, it is intentional. It just... Yeah. I don't know, it just didn't sound right to me. So you didn't like it. It did, I did, did sound like it was a parody. To me... very noticeable. It didn't really have any of the... What's the word I'm looking for? Memorability of the other? I don't... There's no themes that I'm I'm coming out of the theater humming on this one, whereas, like... You know, the other yeah. Star Wars movies, you're like... Oh. No, like Jewel of the Fates or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, every... Well, okay. Right. <laughs> Not every Star Wars movie has one, but most Star Wars movies have something that you can sort of recognize as, as the main theme for the movie and, and or the characters. Mm. And I didn't really get anything uh, theme-wise from this. It just felt like more of a standard movie soundtrack that the music was appropriate to the situation, but it wasn't that theme for the character. Not that I could tell, anyway, easily. Yeah. So that's the thing about Star Wars, is that each character has their own theme that plays when that character is, like, on the screen. I do think... But this one didn't seem to have that. Well, I do agree with Veronica. Maybe if you watch it for 40 years. It just didn't, yeah. Sorry. I just didn't recognize it because I've only seen it once. Right. Well, I I agree with Veronica. I think they are trying to go for, uh, you know, the different feeling. Um, You know, they they said in all the interviews and things leading up to this movie that this is not an episode. This is, um, you know, a different kind of movie. It's a side story. It's it's a war movie. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and they're trying to get that different feel across from the the way that they're actually putting the names of the planets on the screen and things like that when they first show them uh, to uh, just the, the way mm. that different scenes are, are transitioned and the music and, and things like that. It all had that different, grittier feel to it than any of the other Star Wars movies. It's a, yeah. It's a war movie. It was going to be a spy movie at first, and it, it is kind of, in a way, a spy movie. Yeah, but, uh, like it, a heist movie. Yeah, it was going mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, right. Je- uh, Jetta's Eleven or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that you brought up the the different planets with their titles because at the very beginning of that movie, I swear to you, I was so upset that I was being shown the titles of the planets and where we are, where we are, and we did so much planet hopping. There were a surprising Ugh. number of them. It was kind of a lot. It was too many. It was too many to keep up with. Now, I enjoy seeing how each planet is different. And in Star Wars, uh, compared to other science fiction universe, each planet actually is different. That's a promise that science fiction always has and always fails to live up to. And Star Wars is pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a joy to see new planets in Star Wars because they're so distinct. But there were a a very surprising amount of planetary transitions very early on. But, but Sam, there were a lot fewer planets by the end of the movie than there were when we started the movie. At least a couple fewer. That's... That's true. They heard our criticism and they corrected it. <laughs> one, one little uh, bit of solace there. <laughs> Let's see. 
You looking at my show notes? Yeah, because it's reminding me. It's been almost. I do think though it was a mistake not to have an opening crawl. I know they did that to make it different. You know, it's not part of the the main saga, but I feel like it needed to have that crawl just to tie it into being Star Wars. Yeah, they could have the same crawl as. Same crawl as episode four. Rebels, uh, spaceships striking from a secret uh, base, managed to steal plans for the Death Star. I thought they were going to do episode 3.99999 Rogue One. (laughs) Yeah, right? Well, The Tuesday before episode four. Star Wars is a very spiritual experience in in, in science fiction. It's really about spirituality in a way that other science fiction isn't. And the collective nostalgia is a part of that spiritual feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's a very powerful feeling when you're in the theater and everyone's having that collective nostalgia it's a very akin to um, what people describe to be a, a spiritual experience and, and, and i agree with you john that was very glaringly missing early on and it was at the beginning of this movie I, I felt very skeptical sitting in that in that seat in that theater yeah like when i saw force awakens when that crew started going up the screen i literally got shivers yes mm-hmm. absolutely like chills from watching that <clears throat> i hear you it took me a couple of seconds to or well, probably close to a full minute for the shock to wear off. They didn't do a crawl. The word Star <laughs> Wars didn't appear on the screen. But I was perfectly fine with it after that. I was like, I get it. They're doing something yeah. different. And you know what? I half expected it anyway. So yeah, I, I mean, I knew they they weren't going to do one. It just felt strange. Yeah, I hear you. So I've got a, I got another question from uh, the Twitter verse that I'd like to to get to you guys. Um, we have one from Craig Hart at Craig Hart, uh, says, Thoughts on the hints of the Rebellion doing bad things in the name of fighting evil and parallels to modern insurgencies? Something I noticed right away is that, well, not right away, but on Jeddah especially, um, I don't know if it was just the kind of the urban Middle Eastern vibe of the city streets with, like, the tank rolling through, but it, mm. it kind of, I don't know, it glorified terrorist activity a little bit, in my opinion. I thought to myself, uh-oh, uh-oh, I, the good guys are engaging in some good old-fashioned homespun urban terrorism here. It kind of made but me feel a little uncomfortable. But then those guys aren't officially part of the rebellion. This is true. Okay. This is true. But, um, no, I, I agree. But I think we were meant, at least on some level, to consider them the good guys. And this is the first time, like, in all the other movies, it's like, oh, the rebellion are the good guys. And this is the first time we've seen them doing stuff which isn't necessarily good. Right, and, like and as we mentioned, this is the post-9-11 world, and this would have felt perfectly fine, you know, in the pre-9-11 world, but, you know, times have changed. Well, and not to be sympathetic towards terrorism or anything, but I think it really, it, it, it truly makes you go to the place where, what would you do? You know, you were, you were not a person that was in the wrong, so how do you defend yourself your ideals your beliefs and your future and the future of those like you um so i mean that isn't to say that it's the right thing but you know not to uh not to adhere to anything that sam holds dear but is there a right and a wrong when there comes to war and seeing sides you know i mean I don't know. It, with this, I don't think that there there necessarily is a good or a bad side. There is um, life and death, and you do what you have to do. You mean the most fair in love and war? In that moment in the street. In that moment in the street. In that moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it 
this brings out the shades of gray much more than the other Star Wars movies have, where it's just like Empire mm-hmm. good, Rebellion bad, or other way around. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> oh, Mike, were we watching the same movies? We, I knew it. You sick. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm, uh, all right. You guys don't understand the power of the dark side. <laughs> Um, Are you an O-Torontonia? Oh. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, yeah, but I, I, I actually, uh, I thought it was interesting that, uh, that you saw people that would ostensibly call themselves rebels going beyond what is considered good. And, and then it made our heroes in this case, uh, Jin, that much more heroic that she was rescuing that girl in the streets and 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 things like that and mm-hmm. seeing that they didn't cross that line you know there's always some crying child in the streets in these movies and maybe they've also left a teddy bear behind that they have to go and get after that so that was a little tropey but you know yeah it it demonstrates just how violent the situation is and how there are innocents around I mean, it was that scene, for me at least, where the movie really started getting going. Like, up until that part, it was a little bit slow, I thought. But after, like, that scene in uh, Jetta, Jetta, uh, I thought the the movie really kicked it up a pace. And the K2SO joke in that point was actually pretty good, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. K2SO I, is I can't such believe a we character. haven't talked about K2 yet. You mentioned yeah. him once. Um, <laughs> There's like this robot when, called K2. When yeah. Jin shoots so, the other one, he's like, Did you know that wasn't me? Uh, yes. <laughs> so good. He, was, he succeeded as the comic relief without being annoying like C3PO, without being a clown like Jar Jar Binks. I mean, this was just, yeah. they, they dialed in the formula and they got it exactly right. Yeah, he was he was a he was a yeah. gem. The, Which I thought was really wonderful because this movie was absolutely said this is not for children, this is an adult's film. And yet that was still something that your I guess older kid could really enjoy. So that mm. ten year old, that's their probably their favorite character or something like that. But I, I thought it was good for both kids and adults and K two. Like the the scene where he's um escorting the prisoners to prison to imprison them, as he says. Uh, yes. That was great. Apparently, the, the bit where he slaps uh, Cassian, apparently that was improvised by oh. Alan Tudyk at the time. And if you watch, I've watched the clip a couple of times earlier, um, Cassian sort of turns his face away, and you can see like in his eyes he's trying not to laugh. <laughs> so, it's quite funny. I would I laugh at that guy, too, if, if we were in the same you know, squad together. <laughs> yes. For sure. He was funny. Yeah. Uh, I think one of my favorite K2 parts was uh, near the end where he's like, Jin, I'm with you. Cassian said I had to be. Cassian <laughs> said I had to be. <laughs> uh, that's good. That got so a good, good laugh in the theater. K2's ultimate de- demise was really sad for me. I think that yeah. was the first time I cried during the movie. That was the was... most, out of all of the deaths in the movie, that was the one which had the most emotional impact, I think, the death of mm-hmm. K2. Yeah, what a heroic end, too. Just blasting everything in sight. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, really, you really know that's where things are starting to go when he goes, because he's just like, he takes on a whole squad of basically stormtroopers on his own. He died, and he finally got his blaster. <laughs> it's good shit. So, uh, Pete, your wife uh, uh, 
gave us My a tweet. My wife. <laughs> uh, and what is her Twitter handle? I don't actually know. At DirtyMM86. I mean, your wife got on Twitter before you. Come on. Come on. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> she Dirty says... DMM, all right. How do you feel that Rogue One fits in with the franchise, and what is your take on the way that it was done rather than the original spy thriller it was pitched as? Well, you can tell I've been talking to her, right? Uh, <laughs> or not, because she had to tweet us to get that across. <laughs> Well, she's the one who had told me that they were originally going to do it as like a James Bond type movie kind of thing, which I would have thought awesome, you know. Uh, but what they did was also quite quite exciting in my opinion. And I already mentioned that this movie just serves to make, uh, well, first of all, it's an exciting movie, but it just kind of served to make episode four seem more real, like the stakes were actually more real and it wasn't just some... Yeah. Uh, you know, morality play of good versus evil, the way it kind of feels as a standalone. So I'll probably have the weirdest perspective here. I, For Star Wars specifically, I don't watch trailers. I don't read anything about it. I see when the release day is going to be, and I go. And that's just the blind trust that I have um, in the franchise. But I will not read about anything before going to see the movie so i won't even know who the main characters are what the story is going to be about before i get there so for me this is all news <laughs> i agree with that and star wars i treated a little more like a sacred documentary or something like that than yeah. other movies my wife is a big spoilers and behind the scenes junkie so she was not shy about that at all <laughs> yeah, i would love to see the original cut of the movie because they did a lot of reshoots after they tested the movie like apparently all the audience didn't like it at all they did a lot of reshoots and if you look at the first trailer they released it's completely different to how it actually turned out. Like there's oh, a that's bit with Jin and Cassian like running along the beach with the Death Star plans in their hands and stuff, and all sorts of stuff which didn't make the final cut. The beach stormtroopers. Really I remember. So I'd that. love to see how it originally was. They had the Bermuda shorts and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> running along the beach with their surfboards. <laughs> you know, I actually I got if you'll a. Get that. In like a Blu-ray disc set at some point, that'd be really cool to watch. Yeah, cut like that. <laughs> oh, Jim, you really are a, the Rogue uh... One. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, Rogue like, One in my heart. Like when, the uh, that... the most famous scene in the, or the famous line in the first trailer when she says "I rebel," like mm -hmm. that totally wasn't in the movie at all. Yeah, that happens. Well, people made fun of that. Do you remember the? parody account that was her that, that came out right after that, that, that trailer the first trailer that was the funniest thing on the internet for a while and they appreciated it so much it was like guys I just took a stick of gum from the store without paying for it my heart is racing I, <laughs> 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 I miss that it was like the most but yeah it was really funny awesome well, I wouldn't have watched that yeah I didn't, that's why I didn't tell you. This, though, I, you're, this is the first time here. Because I respect your, your no spoiler stuff. I hope... Uh, she's actually going to be on SNL in, in the near future. Oh. I hope they do some Rogue One stuff with that. They have to. Oh, of course. Oh, they gotta. Yeah, absolutely. Just like when Kylo Ren was on the show. I don't remember the actor's name, but... Yes, he, the, he did a the great job. Yeah, they had the... Um, 
Yeah, HR thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Spe- oh, the undercover boss? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging around the cafeteria. So that Kylo Ren's pretty cool, huh? Speaking of, H- <laughs> speaking of HR, some thoughts I had on this were that, like, to me, it felt like Krennic, when he went to see Darth Vader, was like a guy going to, you know, whine to HR about something that his boss was doing. <laughs> You know? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Darth Vader space. Yeah, he had a lot less fear than HR. other people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That whole well, scene was was strange. Does, there's the office yeah. politics in this. Movie. Was maybe... the the Empire. Yeah. Your villain. Yeah. Your villain in this movie is like not a typical Star Wars villain, where it's like you know all powerful and and everything. Krennic is very. Weasily and just kind of trying to get by, I feel like, compared to other Star Wars villains. Give, give the guy some credit, too. After Darth Vader chokes him and makes a silly little joke, he, he like, smiles at it. He thinks it's funny. He's like, ha, 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 ha. Good one, boss. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was Ray's interesting time. is um, Darth Vader's castle thing, where they had that encounter. Um, that's apparently on Mustafa. Where yeah. uh, he actually got his arms and legs chopped off and burnt to a crisp. Oh, yeah. sure enough, I thought I recognized that name. Yeah, it's probably built I on mean, the exact to... spot. Exactly. Yeah, that's not a healthy man. Let it go. If you're going to stay, <laughs> who has the high ground now, bitch? The dark side, <laughs> you need to have that that hate and that anger and that fear. Kind of, you need to keep that present. Mm-hmm. That's that's your dark side power. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, yeah. So you guys, uh, I, I um, do not Star Trek, Star Wars. Excuse me, it's not my my bag as much as other shows. Sometimes, Does, is he pressing a button to speak with his voice in other movies, Darth Vader? Because in that scene, not, there's like no. a white thing on his belt that he like presses to talk in no, that specifically no. in that speech. And it's not it was that so I noticed. Strange. Noticed you that. know what I'm talking about? I didn't notice that. I didn't. I'm sure his hands weren't just resting on his belt. I might, have, yeah, I might. Have, maybe he's just pressing a button, but it looked to me like he was pressing something to talk, which felt really strange to me. I might just be crazy. He was <laughs> reaching for a tic tac. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. No, he can speak at will. He does not have to press anything. He's, uh, you know, it's all built in. I know what it is. What it's is it? that up until that moment, he did not have the superpower to push the button. But then he learned a new superpower. He leveled up. He got a new one, and it's just to push the button with the force. Oh, he uses okay. the force. Oh, okay. by the way, each individual thing you do with the force, you have to learn it. Mm-hmm. Did his costume look strange to anyone besides Veronica and I? It looked too new. They did redesign it a little bit. The I cape was, was like the... Whole, the cape was way too. Um, it looked close. like he was too. It, okay, so like. Currently, the style with men's clothing is to be tiny and snug on this man. And I felt like they did that to Darth Vader's suit, where it was <laughs> like Darth too, sh- the cape was too short, oh and it was too bunchy around his armpits. I don't know. It was too much. Was he hipster they Darth did Vader? redesign his suit a little bit. If you look at the, the shots from New Hope and the shots from this one. If he liked the one dark side thing... before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing you can get right with a visual fidelity, I feel like it's Darth Vader, the yeah. most iconic image of Star Wars. Just but dust off the old suit. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's minutes before the first movie. And unless it's totally <laughs> degraded, it should be ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay. Yeah, the, I suit, mean, I the didn't suit was really off. Notice particularly anything different with the suit, but I know there were differences, but I didn't particularly notice them. They that the voice, so funny. They, the voice was worse. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know there's uh, differences between the, the suit in New Hope and a suit in um, uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi. They redesigned some things between those two mm. movies. So you see a lot more of Darth Vader yes. in those two movies. And I'm wondering if part of this is because they went for the New Hope style and uh, got it wrong. But also it's different than two-thirds of way, the way you see Darth Vader. Just a thought. Uh yeah. yeah, that would make maybe. a lot of sense if that's what they're going for. It, it was when, when we saw Darth Vader in uniform, it brought both Sam and I so far out of the movie that we literally turned our heads, looked at each other, gave the cocked eyebrow, and then went back to watching. It was just like, what and is maybe happening? Maybe that was just like his casual chilling at my castle uniform. <laughs> it was yeah, a space right. okay. He's got a different Fair. one for going out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in a whole closet of suits. That makes a lot of sense. I'm fine with it now. Yeah, <laughs> next. It's so strange that you and we solved that dilemma. You and I had costume problems, but yet neither of us cared about the CGI, which is yeah, I know. other people have <laughs> like a lot. It's interesting. Well, and it, we wouldn't have noticed as much if it was only in that scene where he was kicking butt. You know, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's yeah. noticeable there when you just see guys flying into walls and stuff like that. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we're watching. God, that was so good. That was awesome. All right. So I heard a rumor yesterday that uh, the character of Cassian um, might actually be appearing in the Han Solo movie that's coming out. Really? Ooh. Interesting. Because there was an interview with him, like on the red carpet or something, and someone asked him if he was going to be in the Han Solo movie, and he gave like a really cagey answer. <laughs> so he didn't say no, basically. Well, I mean, just that's like, oh, well we'll before have to this. To wait and see, sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, they're, doing, it, they're doing a young Han Solo movie. Yeah, yeah that will be in 2018. Oh, right, young Han Solo. Sounds that's got good, Danny Glover cast as Lando, which is such good casting. Not Danny Glover. Yeah, not Danny Glover. Um, I was going to say Danny <laughs> Glover is a young Lando. Lando, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I that, met Donald. <laughs> too I old for this shit. Too, too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That's not possible. He can't play a young." <laughs> no, just no. Oh, just like, so it, I, I ended up pulling up a picture of it up on my iPad. I was like, "Is this the man you're talking about?" <laughs> He's like, "No, not at all." No, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, then we'll we'll have Mel Gibson as as Han Solo. Then why not? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? The bucket list again? That's going to be bad. Yeah, was it Mel Gibson that originally turned down the role of Han Solo? Uh, what a good move for him! Or, no, it was uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Oh, oh what? Wow. Well, I, wow. actually, I was well, listening to Captain Ron, to... so he did all right. Yeah, <laughs> he, Kurt sneak. Russell actually uh, tried out for both Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. Um, that was something that uh, uh, shoot the actor who plays Luke Skywalker. Oh. What's Mark, it? Mark, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Re- re- yeah, he talked about um, doing talking to him about it and doing a screen test and things like that. And that uh, Kurt Russell tried out for both parts and got neither. Well, that would have been a less whiny Luke. 
I mean, can you see Kurt Russell whining about anything? I can't. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we do have... It would have been a worse movie. (laughs) We do have uh, another question from the internet. Um, uh, Sean Faust, at Sean Faust, wonders, have any of you read Catalyst to get the backstory on Galen, Lyra, Krennic, etc.? It's a good read. No. I have no. Yeah. That must be the new expanded universe, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I've been meaning to read the, the new Star Wars novels, the new canonical ones, but I haven't you know, got around to it yet. Every it time leads... I think I want to do that, I just go into my basement and see the four rows on my bookshelf of the old expanded universe <laughs> and shake my head and go back upstairs. <laughs> All right. Well, that was an easy answer. Um, we had an interesting... <laughs> long tweet storm come in from uh alex cater happy puke um i'm gonna just kind of sum it up Uh, he has a theory that he believes that uh jin didn't change heart or believe in hope she manipulated the rebellion for her personal vendetta discuss sounds plausible next no I don't Can know you about that. that for me, please, because it cut out quite a bit on you. Oh, it, it said, I have a theory that Jin didn't change heart or believe in, in hope. I think she manipulated the rebellion for her personal vendetta. And that's basically, he says, to discuss. And he actually uh, tweeted a bunch more than that. Vendetta against who, though? Uh, Krennic. For her, her dad dying. Because it was... But it was actually the... Re- rebels that killed her dad she went to really great lengths to retrieve that hard disk in that ridiculous disk farm uh if all she wanted to do was kill krennic she wouldn't have had to bother with any of that she if she was being cynical at first uh she started to buy into her own rhetoric but i i don't know that that's necessarily ridiculous to me uh he he kind of went into it a little more but i just thought i'm gonna buy you all right uh, that's all I've got for questions. So, um, does anybody else have anything uh, that we want to talk about before we get to the decision? Since Jin came up uh, in that Twitter question, I thought it was great um, that she was never made to to have to wear like a, a, any super form metal metal bikini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was great that the most form fitting thing she'd wore was a standard empire outfit, which is form fitting just because that uniform is right. Right, uh, right. She was uh, a face of, of heroism and of the rebellion without being over-sexualized in any way. And on the same token, I feel like this, this show really embraced people being comfortably being themselves in a way that star Wars is becoming a champion for in a way that's great. Diego Luna's accent, I, I think is very moving how, how, how it was in, as it was and how it, he's depicted as being a hero who was not made to change the accent for Hollywood as so many people um, are with that sort of an accent. Right, right. Yeah, the yeah. whole Star Wars universe is British mm-hmm. except for him. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not Donnie Yen either, but... There is one more point I'd like to bring up and that is the weird tentacled monster thing that read the pilot's oh, head. yeah. Loved it. <laughs> Man, we even, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> the, the thing is that the um, I can't remember the character's name now. Um, Forrest Whitaker's character, uh, yeah. Saw, Saw, Saw Renegade Saw, or something like that. Saw Guerrero. Yeah. Saw S A W. Yeah, he says Saw basically okay. that the 
this octopus thing was gonna mess up the pilot's mind and stuff. But you never really saw much of that. Like, he was a bit spaced out in the cell, and then uh, Cassian mentioned pilot to him, and that just, like, snapped him out of it, and it was fine again after that. Yeah. I thought that was a Does he have interactions with Donnie Yen that would lead us to believe that the Force maybe brought him out of that? I don't know. It was kind of the impression that I got. But yeah. everything with saw Gerrera was Gerrera. sort of... Gerrera, sorry, excuse me. Was kind of half-baked and, like, not committed to 100%. It happened like. too quickly. The scene was over with. It could have been cut, in my Every opinion. Every premise that comes up around that particular guy felt unexplored and a little superfluous to the story. Yeah, I, I think agree. it was supposed to give us more of um, ISIS headquarters feel. Sure. And it just felt, yeah. I don't know, it didn't feel scary enough. It didn't feel like, you know, these are where the baddest of the bads, like the rebels of the rebels are. Right. So, well, I don't know. I I just, I wasn't into that part. But and, I did like the tentacle dude. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, the the Whitaker character, I thought, uh, instead of looking menacing with his mechanical body, looked a little goofy. Like, he was certainly no General Grievous, that's for sure, with, you yeah. know, with all the prosthetics and all that kind of thing. But um, as as long as we were talking about it, that, that uh, defected imperial pilot we hadn't talked about him yet at all as a character and you know just like everyone else he dies but really he did a pretty heroic thing and he was a, a, a good character hell he speaks the he titular line of the movie rogue one as he has to come up with a call sign very quickly but you know he did the hard thing certainly and uh and uh helped the good guys to win in a big way yeah i thought he was a really good character i yeah. really liked him yeah he had a very satisfying arc yeah. So, what do you guys think about all the little like nods and Easter eggs to the other Star Wars movies? Like the dude like, who has the, the death, the two sentence. guys, yeah, the the, the, the guy from the Monsters League Cantina and that kind of thing. And I assume they soon after that bit got on a shuttle and left the planet. <laughs> well, I like it in the same way that so. I didn't understand why I liked it until I read a New York Times article about this. And I think that it very clearly explained what I love. And it was just like Ben-Hur happened during this like, you know, very well-known Jesus story. And there are nods to that, but never does the attention go that way. It stays <coughs> Ben-Hur. And I, I love that. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I like that you are saying things to me, the person who has watched your movies, but it doesn't, it, it's not like a new person is going to miss anything um, if they don't pick up on these things. Yeah, that, that's um, true. Somebody did actually point out a plot hole to me the other day, and that is, what was that? how did C-3PO and R2-D2 get onto Leia's ship? Because all the squadron had left by the time you saw them back on Yavin Yeah, floor. they're just chilling on the planet randomly when everyone leaves. I think there's a whole army of C-3PO's and R2-D2's. But don't the, <laughs> don't the capital ships kind of warp in after the the fighter squad is the first thing that comes in, so essentially mm -hmm. they could have been loaded up with the capital ships. Well, that kinda come they in said that, um, I can't remember the name of the Admiral. Um, it wasn't Akbar. It, it was his right. brother or something. Um, yeah, they mentioned 
um, that they'd already gone, that they'd already left to oh, go. Oh, wow, and, interesting. And sport. Yeah, that's, that's and then, like, a few a seconds big... later, you saw C3PO and R2D2. I have a crazy theory about R2D2 uh, in the Star Wars universe that has nothing to do with this movie at all. <laughs> but, it, but maybe it does. But maybe it does. Okay, I'm just going to say it because maybe it answers your question, John, because there are a lot of unexplained things in Star Wars that happen with R2D2 being present. And I have kind of a theory that R2-D2 is a Force-sensitive being in this universe, even though he's not supposed to be being a droid. When you watch A New Hope, they're going to go with the other droids. The other droids are better purchased. The other droids make more sense. They buy the other droids. The other droids are walking away. R2-D2 is frustrated. And in that moment of frustration of R2-D2, the other droid explodes. And there are a billion (laughs) things like that that are big coincidences where I like watching Star Wars and just imagining R2-D2 is absolutely a Force user throughout. So the Kenny prophecy Baker's about the one that brings balance to the force is actually about R two D two and not R two D two. That's right. <laughs> Just like how Jar Jar Binks was the Dark Lord of the Sith the whole time. <laughs> you heard that? You heard that? I uh, love that theory. Fan that theory. That's a great one. It's well fleshed out. Uh, all right. All right. Well, K two. We're all ready to go on our super secret spy mission to save the rebellion and make sure episode 4 actually happens. Because if we don't, then all of a sudden Star Wars isn't a thing anymore in 1977? Uh, no. I don't think so. All that temporal paradox stuff is more Star Trek-y? We just need to succeed in our mission because that's the plot. How pragmatic. Yes, so I can tell that all of our living agents are in the right mindset for this mission. I just need to know you're ready, K2. Why are you asking? Because you can't read my emotions? Because I'm not a living agent? Uh, well, yes. I suppose you've been thinking to yourself, we might as well bring a toaster to do K2's job. They have the same emotional range, and at least toasters are easy to fix when they break. No, that's not true at all. Well, that's nice of you to say, Jim. I don't think toasters are that easy to fix. I see. So, K2, what do you say? Are you up for some Space James Bond action? Yes, Jen, I am ready. You're ready? Yes, I am ready. You're really ready, and you're just programmed to say I'm ready when asked if you're ready? There's that droidism again. No, no, nothing like that. I'm just wondering. Everything K2 does is programmed into his circuits. He has no free will. Is that what you think, Jen? For instance, was I programmed to do this? Hey, you just leaked servo oil all in my blue milk. Oops, blame my faulty programming. Uh-oh, I feel another bout of questionable machine language coming on. Ow! Why my programmers saw fit to give me the ability to do atomic wedgies, we'll never know. Okay, okay, stop. Look, I can tell I've insulted you. Nonsense. Droids are not programmed to get insulted. However, strangely, it turns out that we are programmed to give devastating noogies. Okay, that's it. I'm leaving to get ready for the mission. And also to tie human shoelaces together. Goddamn droids! Oh, there it is. Did you hear that? What a giveaway. You heard it, didn't you? Well, I think uh, we've talked about this enough. I think it's time that we get to a verdict. So... Uh, is this movie sacred? That would be Bovinus Sanctorum. Uh, or is this movie going to be put out to pasture? Bovinus 
excommunicado. And, and to be fair, it is not an old movie yet, so this is just a tentative verdict. But uh, what say you all? So let's start with our guests. I say we start with Sam. Um, I think it's it's sacred to me, and I think it really enriches the whole Star Wars saga and fills in the color. It, it just adds color stakes uh, and uh, light to it in, in a way that I found interesting and enriching to the franchise. So to me, it's a sacred addition. All right. Uh, what say you, John? Uh, I say Bofinus Sanctorum. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, it is... One of my favorite Star Wars movies now. I mean, the original trilogy is, is still my favorite, but I'd say it's up there with Force Awakens. Um, and I think uh, with time, it's only going to improve with more viewings. All right. Veronica, what say you? Also sacred for me. I intend to show any children of mine that have not seen Star Wars this movie before they see episode four. I think it's just part of the canon. Yeah. And it has the way to it leads into episode four is perfect. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, Pete. All right, you know, I thought, I, I thought to myself, I got to try something different with this movie because I think I am a highly suggestible person. <laughs> and so... I tried to avoid any reviews or opinions about this movie before seeing it, and unfortunately I got a few, both good and bad. But um, just following my heart, I want to say that this is very much a bovinus sanctorum uh, sacred cow because it just got me so hard into the, the Star Wars spirit in a way that I really wasn't expecting. You know, you're thinking, oh, this isn't even one of the episodes. This is just a filler, you know, crap. Disney wants to crap out a billion-dollar movie every year. But they do a really good job with these movies. I'm just so pleased with what Disney's doing. It's it's wonderful that they, that the property belongs to them now, So and they've done mm-hmm. it again. I thought that this was a fantastic movie. Didn't hurt that I saw it. Um during that special day after Carrie Fisher's death and had that beautiful moment in it, but um, it's very much sacred. And Mike, don't let us down. What is your verdict on this Star Wars Rogue One? Yeah, I think it was a ball of garbage. No, no, I'm just kidding. It, it, it's uh, I, get out. I, I'm going with sacred as well. Um, for for this reason, it, it's one of the only movies that I've seen. Um, that's part of a franchise this year that is completely self-contained in that it has a story that goes from start to end and that you could watch it on its own and you could tell, you know, these are the arcs of the characters that were involved. But it also does fit into that franchise so well um, versus, like, something like uh, The Force Awakens where... The story isn't as self-contained. It's really just, you know, part of something bigger. It can't really stand on its own. And and it's really strange that this leads into A New Hope, which is also sort of a self-contained um, Star Wars movie uh, versus, you know, the other episodes. So uh, it also made me think about, you know, the, the consequences of, of 
the actions of the characters in the movie, the actions of the Empire, the actions of the Rebellion in a way that has I haven't really thought about it before because it was so, you know, the shades of gray, the the cost of war, the different things that happen. I was thinking about those things at the end of the movie versus like, oh, you know, I want to know just more about, uh, you know, this character or I want to know what's the conspiracy behind that. I actually, you know, thought more about the movie, I think, than like what I didn't get out of the movie, if that makes sense. Makes you think about life, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. Well, this is the first time that I can remember uh, in a while that we've had a unanimous verdict, especially with um, five separate people saying that something is sacred. So I would say it is sacred. Overwhelmingly bovinus sanctorum. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Star Wars rocks. I think it's time to uh, close the show. So I want to. Once again, thank our guests. Um, and this is the time where uh, they can tell us how they get in touch. So, John, how can people get in touch with you and, uh, and find your show? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Nudza. That's with a Z, not a Z. Um, <laughs> you can find the podcast on Twitter at BruteForcePodcast. No, sorry, at BruteForceCast. Uh, and you can find the podcast on Geekly Inc. or iTunes or any of those sort of places. All right. Sam, how can we find you and find uh, your shows? Absolutely. Uh, Sam, you can find me on Twitter at Creeptastic Sam. You can find Brute Force, which I'm not on, but which is very great, and you should, at Brute Force Cast. It's fantastic. <laughs> or you can find Highly Illogical at Illogical Show, uh, podcast at Podcast Podcast. And uh, Sailor Moon on Geekly and Random Encounters. All right. And Veronica, how can we get in touch with you? You can find me on the Twitterverse at Typical Veronica. You can download my show Cthulhu and Friends on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am also on Podcat Podcast. And I'm also on Highly Illogical. So if you want to hear a lot from me, just download all three of those shows <laughs> all veronica and sam all the time <laughs> just listen to podcasts you will hear them <laughs> all right uh pete did you get a twitter yet come on get real let's <laughs> let's let you uh handle the uh social media liaison position for another episode mike all right well you can find me on twitter i'm at white morph and you can always get in touch with this show at Sacred Cows Pod. So, with that, I want to say goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Thank you for having Bye. us. Bye. Thanks so much. This is great.